Disclaimer. The views expressed on this episode of Perspective Platoon with Prateek are solely the opinions of the host and the guest. The content of the conversation is not reflective of the institutions or establishments mentioned therein. Take all these opinions with a pinch of salt and a dash of lime if needed. Namaskara. Good morning, good afternoon or good evening whenever you're watching or listening and welcome to this episode of Perspective Platoon with Prateek. My guest this week is Han Setlu. Um to be honest with you all, uh these weren't the circumstances during which I wanted to have uh him on as a guest. Um initially I decided to or I had plans of wanting to talk to him about um his background um as wanting to be an educator and the things associated with it. but uh due to the recent events um uh, that have been uh, a part of me and Mars environment with the military coup um we decided to talk about that issue as well just to bring awareness to you guys if you aren't already aware of everything that's happening um we also spoke about his background as uh, wanting to become an educator and how that sort of plays a role in all of this um so i'm sure that there's a lot to take away from this episode uh in terms of learning about the situation and possibly trying to do our part to help in any way that we possibly can um so without further ado i present to you hans set lu on this episode of perspective platoon with pratik Hey Han, how's it going? It's good. How are you? Doing good, doing good, doing good. Um so yeah, let the people know who you are. Um some of your likes, your dislikes, your interests, aspirations and so on. So my name is Han. Um I am from Myanmar. I'm an international student at the University of Central Oklahoma. I'm studying early childhood education and I also have a minor in leadership. and my vision is to be an educator someday that can advocate for um education and learning in early years gotcha um what got you into becoming or wanting to become an educator um so when i was young until i was 12 i lived under the military dictatorship mm. um so the education is very much manipulated so there are no private school um there are some a couple of international school but a uh, normal you know burmese citizen would not be able to afford um to go to that kind of school that basically is for um ambassadors and you know mm. national worker um but um so every burmese citizen is expected to go through a public education which is the government school mm. system and as usual uh with military dictatorship um the education system is very much um controlled and manipulated mm. um in 2013 in 2010 that was when the country is de- transition into democratic uh republic in uh, 2013 i got an opportunity to um study abroad um in the united states it was funded by us embassy and us uh state department and i actually got a chance to study at indiana university bloomington indiana 
for a week. Um, so basically four weeks in uh, at Indiana University and one week at um, the State Department in Washington, D.C. So um, it was youth um, leadership course. Um, it kind of like a crash course. But um, one of the projects that I did um, personally chose to kind of kind of specific on was um, observing the education system. So mm -hmm. I got a shadow um, a couple of college classes at Indiana University, and I got a shadow some of the course, some of the classes at the um, Bloomington High School. Mm -hmm. That was when I realized that the education, how it is operating in my country, is uh, not an education. It's just rather of memorizing fact by heart. And it's not, it does not necessarily mean learning as well. Mm. So that's when I found out that um, there is a major problem in our education system. Um, it's not helping students learn or even students critically think and develop skills necessary to go out in this civil society. And after, after my study abroad, I started volunteering as a educator. Mm. Uh, so when I, I, when I study abroad, it's the, the country itself is um, a democratic republic. So we're having um, some private education centers and monastic education um, coming in the school, not only public school system. So I started volunteering in as some monastic education. There usually operated by the monastery. And then that's where I find that I am really passionate about education. I'm really passionate about teaching. Mm. Over the year, I, me as a volunteer um, there, I often, I often run into a problem and I realize um, the, the key source of it. That is that um, you can't, expect a person who has learned all these kind of misinformation, manipulated education for a couple of years and expect that persons to unlearn or change mm. in a few years. That's where I realized that in order for us to make a huge impact long-term, we really need to start from a very um, basic level, which is early years. Mm. Um, that's how I, when I decided that I want to pursue my degree in teaching and specifically for early time education. So, um, mm. that's why I decided to come to UCO for early time education major. Gotcha. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, you sort of built the love for wanting to educate after coming here to the United States and sort of going to the monastery and volunteering. Uh, if you can remember some of those experiences, what if there were like two to three things that you were to pick out from those experiences that you feel like really motivated you to do it? Uh, what were those experiences or those learnings? Um, the first one is even between, even within this country, like public education and uh, government education um, system and the monastic education, the monastic education school still have to rely on the curriculum that government school are using because that's the only way they can be able to send their students to college. Mm. 
Mm. However, um, there is a huge major difference between students in um, monastic education and student in the government school. Mm. Given the same that's where I realized that teaching is not just about the curriculum. You gotta, it's, it's, it's multiple, it's multiple factors. Um, you have teaching methodology, you have teaching philosophy. You also will need to have a eligible teacher and stuff. So that's why I realized that um, education can, education is not only about the curriculum and what you teach them. It's also about, the capacity of teacher and the capacity of administrators as well. That's the first thing that I vividly remember realizing. Mm -hmm. Second is um, the, it's kind of times in the first. And the second is where I realized that most of the monastic education teachers, um, they are trained by um, international organization. They are trained by um, foreign um, groups, foreign educational organization, foreign educational um, resources. And I realized that the education system, that the, the, the fact in our education system is not just only about the public school system anymore. It's also about the way we're training teacher, the way we are preparing teacher as well. Mm. Um, so I started contributing as a teacher trainer as well. Um, to the uh, to the community. So that's the second thing. The third thing is the seniority. So this happened even in monastic education, even in uh, education system that has nothing associated with um, government school and public school system. Uh, it's seniority. So in Myanmar, we do. Um, Stu um, teacher, even within the teacher community, they believe that if you're older, you have more knowledge mm. and you are wiser and mm. stuff. That necessarily seems to be the case. Back then when I was volunteering, I personally has experienced a lot because I decided to take on the role, not only as educator, but also as a teacher trainer. So I'll be given teaching training to um, teachers. Mm-hmm much much older than me the moment that i step into the classroom the first question that they will ever ask even before they will ask my name is how old are you mm. and how long have you been teaching i remember at one of the conferences that i was teaching in workshop uh one of the teacher from the front row just told me i my workshop teaching um, topic was reflective teaching. So as like learners, teachers need to reflect and update their things. So I was giving the workshop on that topic and I vividly remember that person, um, she stood up and she just said, I had taught for 39 years and I have never done reflective teaching and I was doing okay. Mm. Um that's when I was kind of offended and I was kind of, I, I just thought that I really needed to say something. Mm. I really needed to um, say why that idea is wrong right then. So I told her that 
um, everybody needed reflection, not only about teacher. If you right. really want to improve um, in whatever you're doing, not specifically teacher, specifically learners, specifically students, you can be a doctor, you can be an engineer, you really need to think about your own life and you need to reflect the way mm-hmm. you're and I told her something that gained attention a lot from other teachers in that workshop. And I said, yes, I have only taught three years. Back then when I was giving the workshop, I was in the, I was only three years in, in mm. teaching community. And I said, yes, I have only been taught three years. And I can guarantee you that I taught three full years. Mm. Because every year, my methods are not the same. My methods are improving because of the reflective teaching. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you are teaching 39 years without reflective teaching, Mm -hmm. you're not teaching for 39 full years. You're just teaching only one year and repeating it 39 times. Mm -hmm. That's what I told her. Obviously, she got offended and she (laughs) left the workshop and um but uh, my uh, whoever left in the workshop agreed with me and they said that was a really good point to think about it that way and I went back to the same conference the next year the following years and I was registering so you have to register if you're a workshop presenter you have to register at the, at the first day of the conference so that they will mm-hmm. assign you a room, they will show you um, your material, teaching material and stuff. As I was registering, um, someone poked me on the shoulder from the back and I looked back and it was her. Mm-hmm. It was exactly her. <laughs> and in my mind, I was like, oh my God, right. what is she gonna do? Like, um, I was so shocked and I was so scared. I was legit scared. I was like, I really do not want you in my workshop. Mm. Please do not. And I, I don't even know what she's going to say because she has two other friends with her when she was poking on me. Mm. I looked at and I was like, one second, I need to finish my registration now talk to you. Mm. And I specifically did that because I want to have some time to think about what I'm going to say, what if, if she is going to be that way. Right. So I was registering. I remember I can't even spell my name because I was thinking, <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do with that? How am I going to do with her? Yeah. Uh, so I was registering. I finished. And I was like, oh my God, this is the time I really have to face because she was waiting. And I know that she was waiting right behind me to talk to me. And then I was like, I can't pretend like I can't, I, you know, my registration form is finished. So I turned that behind, I turned around and I was like, hi, um, how are you doing? You know, mm. stuff. And she was like, oh, she was like, oh, I just saw you. I just wanted to say hi. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm glad that you did. And then I was still like, my heart literally was beating. I was like, oh my God, what is she going to do? Like, she has two other teachers with her too. Yeah. And then... She said something that I was not expecting. She said, oh, I attend his workshop. She was telling to her friends that she was like, I attended his workshop uh, last year at this conference. And she was telling, she was telling her two friends to go to my workshop. <laughs> wow. wow. She never apologized. She never mentioned anything about that. And she said, what well, I, 
what am I teaching this at this conference? Hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm teaching this topic. I can't not say um, anything, but I see that there is something different this time. Mm-hmm. That was communicating, and she ended up not coming to my workshop, but two of her friends showed up, mm. and I understand the situation uh, with her being almost three times my age. Yeah, I was only twenty at the time. Ah, uh, no, not even twenty. Um, the first workshop I was only nineteen. Mm. And the second workshop, I was 20 at the time. And she was almost about uh, 56, 57, I would say. So I understand she was like almost three times my age. Mm-hmm. And it, because of Asian culture, you know, there are hierarchy. There are right. some kind of incorporated into it. I understand she might not probably want to say sorry. She might not even want to admit that mm-hmm. uh, something has changed since then. Uh but I'm glad that I was able to witness a change without she even admitting it, without she even telling me. So that was my third memory. Mm. And I think that since then, that assured me that, yes, it is, this is the thing that I'm choosing, and this is the passion that I'm going for, and this will be my driving force for my career. And since then, um, I've been sticking with early childhood education. That's awesome. That was a great story. Like, you know, because, yeah, like you said, I think people who are older don't necessarily like to admit it. But then when you see it, you kind of, it makes you happy. The fact that yeah. they've changed for the better. So that's, 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 that's great. Um, there are a couple of things that you mentioned that sort of um, called out to me. One thing being, um, it's important to sort of teach early on, like in a person's stages of life, that way they are easily moldable because you said like if someone grows older it's it's harder to make them unlearn the bad things that they've learned or the wrong things that they've learned Uh, my first question is uh, why do you think it's harder for them to unlearn and my second question is why do you think it's important to start from early on Uh, first of all change is hard regardless of your age change is hard that's why children struggles even to you know feed themselves and stuff, changes hard. Um, I genuinely believe that children go through these changes because when they are young, they have not been taught other ways. Mm. So everything is new to them. Everything is excited to them. And everything just seems so fresh and new. Mm. As we grow older, we have learned a lot of things in our life, either, um, you know, actively or passively. Even within a society, even if you don't go to school, you learn a lot every day. Right. Uh, so once you got older, you already have a perceived information mm. that you learned um, somewhere in your lifetime. Whenever you're challenged with a new idea, whenever you're challenged with a new change, that perception came up. That perception that you have learned before just came up. And you know that if you go along with this perception that you had before, 
is way much, much easier than trying to learn a new thing. Mm. Trying to learn a new thing, the new ice concept, the new change, I believe has two parts. First of all, you really need to understand what this new idea is. And the second part, you have to analyze why this new idea might be better than your past idea. Mm. As much as easy as it is sound when we're talking about those two ideas right now, this is not just only passive process that is happening in your mind. It's also required an active process. So whenever we learn something, we should be starting to act in a new way. That came with an action that came with the change behavior. So when we're talking about this, why it's hard, it sounds so easy just to change, but in reality, it's more than just a, a passive process happening in your mind. It's required active process of bringing out the action, changing your actual behavior and stuff. So it's a very uncomfortable process, mm. even not even like the second thing trying to analyze and change, the first part to understand. Because if you have been taught a particular subject for 20 years this way, 20 minutes of a person giving you and explaining you a new idea is not going to change. True. You got to go out there actively by your own to learn, to research, and to get more information out there. Mm. That is why I believe older people, including myself, because I'm 24 years old, always, always will have a hard time one new thing and adapt that just mm. gotcha so that's why you feel like it's important to sort of start early mm-hmm. that way you can sort of mold them to even be open to sort of learning down the road even if yeah they have like they learn that there's something else that they need to do which is I interesting yeah people cannot change people can change but it will be a bit harder for them right 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 I mean, I think it's uh, simple in the sense that people who are older find it a lot harder to learn a different language, whereas people who are younger can learn multiple languages at once. Uh, so I guess it sort of explains it. Not that elder people can't learn a new language, it takes a lot longer. So yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting sort of idea. But uh, yeah, you mentioned earlier about how uh, the education system and the curriculum back home was very much controlled. And um was there anything like, if you mind share, if you don't mind sharing some sort of incidences of history that uh, the school was covering or the curriculum was covering up that they weren't necessarily teaching? Um, yeah. So one thing that I always think about right now that I have learned at school, um, Myanmar and Thailand has love-hate relationship. Mm. And we had had a long history where even back, like way, way back, Asian civilization, we will invade them, they will invade us. So we have a love and hate relationship. So um, there is a specific history book that we have to learn in middle school, mainly specifically on Thailand. Hmm. Separate textbook, hmm. mainly specifically on Thailand. 
and most of that story, the um, scenario, the the even the history, in there is just one sided. Mm. Um, if you are in the country, and if you only have access to that book, and if you've been learning that in school, you have a higher chance of learning that, like the. Mm. That is true history.、Mm-hmm. And once I got out, and I got to learn different aspect of history, I have never learned Thailand and Myanmar history until now, not、mm-hmm. specifically on that subject matter. But what I realize is, once you step out of the world, you see a different version of your own country,、mm-hmm. and that makes you think. How much of the information that you have learned so far、mm. might not even be true. So、um, that's just one part of、uh, the thing. So their history, geography, you know, social sciences and stuff. There are a lot of things like that. So that's why I'm also calling for. Oh wait, by the way, and also the way that we learn in school, you're not discussing. You're not getting more information. You're not researching. You're memorizing everything in the textbook. And you wrote down exactly what the textbook say, and that's it's called learning.、Mm. So you don't even have a chance to think.、Mm. You don't even sit down and try to understand the test that you're memorizing. You just、yeah. repeat it and you just dictate it, and as long as it's in your memory, you have learned it. So, I believe that's how the. Dictatorship education work, and that's how much it's controlled. And I have gone through that. I have gone through. I passed through high school within the military dictatorship. So、mm. this is how I feel right now, looking back、uh, as a student who is going through the government education, which is pretty much manipulated and controlled. And I will even say that though a lot of majority of those will, are so brainwashed. That's interesting, and I mean,、uh, recently、uh, there was a military coup right back home in Myanmar, and、uh, I was just curious. There's one question that popped up before we transition into that topic specifically that I wanted to ask.、Um, you said that、uh, the country turned democratic, a democratic、uh, republic in 2010.、Uh, did the education system undergo a change during that time, or was it still similar to what it was before it changed? It is development. It is very much developing since then.、Um, the development process has been really slow、mm. uh, because of these things that I have mentioned before, including seniority. So it's a long way from home, but、mm. we have come so far. I acknowledge that as much as it's very, very slow, we have come so far. You know what is really ironic? Because last year they announced that they they have developed a new curriculum for the government school、mm. system. And they are planning to train teachers、hmm. uh, to be able to teach that curriculum. And COVID happened, so that curriculum has suspended because teacher、uh, did not have a chance to,、um, you know, get in-person training for that, and which is totally understandable. And then now the military coup happened.、Hmm. We might not be able to. Our students back home might not be able to even study the new curriculum because the new curriculum is specifically designed with a lot of international education professional and even domestic education professional 
in a way that would transition students not to memorize facts, but also start involving discussion. Well, I would assure you in that curriculum, a lot of majority of that will be through memorization, but there are parts where they encourage um, discussion, where they encourage research, where they encourage um, critical thinking and stuff. Mm. But um, in regard to that with the, the military coup happening, I don't even know if ever that curriculum is ever going to be implemented. Gotcha. Um, speaking of the military coup, could you like give context or like explain it briefly, like what is actually happening for those of them who might not know? So the military coup, the country was, um, there was a military coup in 1962. And then since from then, um, we've been underneath the military dictatorship for 50 years until mm-hmm. 2010. Um, in 2010, they announced that they, um, they hold a general election and they're gonna um, transition to the democratic country. And then we got a democratic transition. But the, the thing that a lot of people might not be aware of in our democratic system, this, the, the, the three branches of government has no control over the military still with the constitution. That is written mm. in 2008. The, the constitution for democracy that is written in 2008 are written by the military personnel. Mm. And they gave themselves a power in the constitution. The constitutional power. And they even hold 25% of the parliament in the legislative section and elected. Mm. Those 25% does not have to be elected through the, through the people. They are directly appointed by the senior general of the, who is the commander in chief of the military. Mm. And we are a multi-party system. And there are party that is also another major party mm. who are founded by retired military generals. Mm. They compete with the Democracy Party, the National mm. League for Democracy NLD. Think about this. 25% of the parliament is gone constitutionally, mm. military. And you also have another major party, which is pro-military and operated by retired military person and representative are somehow tied to military. And Mm. they won't get some seats on the way because they have money, they have power. And the other party has to compete against those two. Mm. In order to pass through legislation, that will be purely democratic. Mm. 2020 in November we had this election in Myanmar what ended up happening is the the other major party Mm -hmm. that is pro-military and operated by retired military generals lost a landslide to the Mm. NLD this time so in the past what ended up happening in the parliament, if you have a legislation that is purely democratic, democratic, um, you have a either majority vote or two-third majority. It is really extremely hard to get two-third majority. Mm. Because 25% is automatically gone. Right. 
and some of the seat will be even elected through the party that is pro-military and operated by military general. This time, most of their seats are gone. Through mm. the, I genuinely believe that's the reason why military coup happened. Mm. You know why? Because they've been announcing voter fraud, parallel universe, you can call it. They've been announcing voter fraud. Mm. And they contested in Supreme Court of Myanmar. Mm. The Supreme Court rejected the case because there is no credible resources. There is no credible evidence that conveys voter fraud. Mm. And they um, sent a letter to the parliament saying that the parliament will not, parliament should delay the, re, the resumption of the section. Hmm. What's going to happen is on February 1st, the parliament's going to resume its section with the newly elected representative. Hmm. On two, February 1st, early in the morning, about 3 a.m., they have detained all the uh, government elected officials, including president, vice president, um, the state councilor, and the parliament members. Mm. They even intentionally waited until this day so that they can detain all the parliament members in one city. Mm. That's the history behind it. So <laughs> that's wow. a briefly rough behind it. And they announced, of course, they announced state of emergency for one year, then they're going to control the country for one year, and they promised that the election will be held after that. But history always repeats itself. That's exactly what they say in 1962, and they said they, they have to take over the country because of uh, instability, because of these things. And they also announced that one year after one year, they're going to hold election. Mm -hmm. um, it lasted about 50 years. Right. right. So that's what's happening here. Wow. So basically, like, they were able to sort of build a fail safe where if something went wrong, they could, or in their opinion, rather, that they'd be able to come back in power because they had that built in the constitution. And am I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I'm sort of understanding is that they sort of had measures here and there to sort of make sure that they still had power mm -hmm. and now that they lost it it's like a power break power grab where they want everything back again yeah and they started coming back for it again um yeah, yeah. so I, I mean remember you mentioned you sharing on social media about like some of the limitations of communication with people back home so has how has that like sort of been affected in terms of uh the news coming out and even like communication within the country and communication outside to the rest of the world. Since the incident happened, um, they have cut off telecommunication, cell cellular uh, services, internet and Wi-Fi services at all. That's why people are having a lot of hard time communicating mm -hmm. with each other, believe it or not. So this happened on Monday, February 1st, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. All I ever was trying is reading the news. The person who is outside of the United States, it's reading the news, updating, mm -hmm. noting, uh, give, sending the notes of the gist to my family, 
to my friends mm. in the country because there the whole local international channel on the broadcasting system has been cut off. The mm. only news channel going on is the channel that is operated by the military, and they're spreading propaganda. Mm. Even last night, ridiculously. With all of these protests going on, they announced on the news that people are peaceful and working out mm. at one lake or one of the recreational resorts.、Mm. That is ridiculous, and that is not a good sign. That is what I grew up with for twelve years, right? Two thousand and ten. What I'm trying to say is.、Um, They have cut off the communication. They have cut off the thing, so people cannot even contact locally. The only time that they can get online is every few hours. The internet might be working, and they might have to go online, and they got like three or five minutes from Monday until this morning.、Mm. I only got ten minutes to talk to my family、mm. because of the internet.、Mm. This morning. It was working again, so I was able to talk to my family for a second time.、Mm. So far, this whole time,、um, and that is scary because they're trying to filter out the voices of the people in the country.、Mm. On Wednesday, they have banned Facebook off the server. On Tuesday, they have banned Twitter and Instagram off the server. So they're trying. Actively and intentionally to silence everyone.、Mm. What is ridiculous? It's on Tuesday, they announced a letter saying that all Burmese citizens abroad should be coming home as soon as possible、mm. because COVID.、Mm. COVID is over a year now. Why would they wake up? On February second, after over a year, concerning about Burmese citizen、mm. outside abroad, right, and come to come home、mm-hmm. because they don't want any Burmese citizen abroad to be talking to the international community, talking to the international media,、mm. or spreading the voices that are being silent in the country, and that also serve. It also have a invisible context in that letter.、Mm. It's warning. You can either come back now safe, or if you talk to international media, if you speak out in the international community, you'll face consequences.、Mm. The reason why I know that is I lived under that for twelve years. Right. And the opposition leader who started the democratic transition, she studied abroad in UK.、Mm. She came back, stand up against her action, and started for the democratic transition. She was house arrest. She was detained several times. And when I was young, there are so many times. People who are abroad who spoke to the international community or people who study abroad come back, just got detained right at the airport,、mm. because they don't want anybody with foreign ties or foreign education 
to be standing up and speaking up against their action or to be making the international community aware. Mm. On Tuesday, I personally have to make a choice because I was contacted by the media saying that they want to interview me. And I know that me studying here, staying here, not deciding to come back have already posed me a risk. Yeah. And I also know that if I am silent, the country is not going to get better. Mm. And I may never even see my family again. Mm. So I decided that I'm going to speak out and I'm going to lead and spoke at a protest in Oklahoma. I'm going to find every platform that I can so that I can inform people of this what is this whole thing happening? Mm. Um, that is exactly what is happening here um, right now. Mm. Right. So is it safe to assume that most of the people living outside of the country are sort of against what's happening back home? Not even safe is 100%. So y- even yesterday, there were 20 states in mm. In the United States, that's how the protest. Oh wow! Okay. Including Oklahoma. Hmm. Mm. Do you think? Do you think? I mean, again, I don't know entirely, but do you think there's a part of the population within the country that supports what's happening? Yes. If you don't mind asking. Mm. Yes. Um, a few fraction who may have um any kind of tie to the military or who may have any kind of tie to that party, uh, that is operated by military general. Uh, or people who are very nationalistic. So mm-hmm. the whole um, ideology that the military uses is very nationalistic and very conservative. Mm. When I say conservative, um, the conservative movement here in the United States will be considered a liberal movement in Myanmar. Right. That should tell you how conservative Burmese people are. Um, so... I just don't want any kind of conservative people here to offend when I mm. use that term because I can guarantee you that conservative people here in the United States will be considered very liberal in here. Right. I am kind of a moderate person. Mm. Um, when it's come to conservative uh, community here in the United States, I'm turned as liberal. When it's come to liberal community um, here in the United States, I'm termed as moderate person, mm. but my standpoint, my political stand in Myanmar is radical. Mm. So if you think about real conservative left, that will be out of this, out of this universe, not even out of this world, right. Burmese political ideology. So what I'm trying to say is these con- very conservative, conservative people who are very authoritarian, um, who like um, everything to be the same, mm. who like everything to have one mindset, love the military movement. Mm. But that is not how democracy works. Democracy mm. is differences in everything. Your idea, your opinion, your um, ethnicity, your sexual orientation, your gender, um, your race. Um, we accept our differences um, and we go forward with it. 
Right. But that's why that's also the reason why the ethnic cleansings and genocide happen in Myanmar because of these people. They just want everyone to be Burmese, mm. even biologically and physically. If you are mm. mixed blood, and if you have, let's say I'm Indian and I'm Chinese, I have no recognition of official ethnicity in the country, and they don't like that. Mm-hmm. And we're living in a global society where immigration happens all the time and all over the place, and people exchange an idea and um, you know exchanging um, resources with each other. It's extremely hard nowadays to maintain one race, one type of nationality in the country. Right. That is drawing back the country, not moving it forward. Mm. People who has this ideology, there are a bunch of them in Myanmar, still what support this military coup. Mm. Why do you think it is that they support? Is it just about power or is there a lot more to it? Like, is there something for them to gain other than just power? I'm just <laughs> curious to know. First of all, education. Mm. They, these, most of the time, if you see it, there's a repeated pattern. These people who are supporting this military education only stick to the government manipulated curriculum education. Mm. They would not even take extracurricular classes. They would not even go out and get another kind of education. These people are usually, not are usually, 99% of the time will support the military coup. Mm. That's why even personally as an educator, I believe that education should be free. Right. Education should teach everyone developmentally everything and let the people think for themselves. Mm-hmm. That is not what the, um, the people who will be supporting think. They would even think that there are a lot more topics that we cannot teach in school. For example, I am all for people studying different religions because out of the this country, my country has a lot of religious diversity there. I'm all for it. Learning about you know religious pluralism does not mean that you're going to change your religion. Mm. Just mean that it gives you perspective that you might not see before and it gives you sympathy for other people who is practicing different religion than you and it gives you idea how you can peacefully have dialogue, conversation and have a, a communal living in the society. Right. But these people would oppose to it. Mm. So that's how the situation is, that's how... Uh, the movement behind the military coup and the supporter of that movement. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, you might have already touched on this earlier, but what do you see happening from here on out, like with the prote- with the protests and with everything that's happening back home? So far, the way that they have been um, acting on this uh, military coup, I have not seen a single symptom or a sign that the situation is going to get better. Mm. All I have been seeing is not the same strategy, 
back then, but updated strategy that is the same, that is bringing out the same scenario that happened before another 50 years military dictatorship. They're killing out people, they're arresting people, they're detaining people, even activists and charity organizations. Mm. Um, so which is not a good sign, but I'm hopeful. One thing that I'm hopeful, and especially that I've been seeing this whole week, is a new generation who had international education, who had education somehow abroad, or who had grew up with technology, came in a various way, protesting nonviolence, being smart, and even site war, um, the psychological stuff that they put out on social media and in the news just to crack down this movement against mm-hmm. who um, the young people had been able to identify those and strategically came up with ideas to debunk them or move against them. Mm-hmm. So is I'm very helpful, very hopeful that the younger generation is coming up with these kind of way. One of those being like the first 72 hours, the way that military dictatorship work is they would announce one year emergency and people will go out and protest and they will give the reason that there are a lot in, a lot of instability in the country so that they will have to extend their power over one year. Mm. So 72 hours, nobody came out. Because young people have been persuading people not to go out. They've been explaining people not to go out. And they came up with different ways. So many ways since then. The first thing is banging pots and pans. Mm. That is a superstition in in Burmese culture that if you believe that your house is occupied by a negative energy or a devil or a demon, you mm-hmm. bend pots and pan to get them out. Mm. They use that strategy. So every night, 8 p.m., everybody will bang their pots and pan without leaving their house. Mm. They will go out to the balcony. They will go out to the window and they will start up banging pots and pan all over the country. Mm. And the second thing that they did in the daytime, so... The military, uh, the, the, the opposition party for democracy, their official color is red. But mm. we use the color of red for any kind of revolution for democracy. Right now, they're trying to take down all the flags and trying to arrest people who has these uh, Democratic Party um, flag. Mm. Another way these young people ha- were able to come up with is in Myanmar, we don't have dryer machines. Mm-hmm. So we air dry our clothes. So they encourage people during the daytime to go out and uh, air dry the clothes that is a red color. Mm-hmm. And also they have came up with a way yet specifically yesterday that um, they're going to release um, red air balloons mm. at um, 10 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. So these houses has been preparing red air balloons, red air helium balloons, and they release it at the same time. So it's the whole sky in every country, every every city is red air balloons. That's like the way of protesting. Mm-hmm. And the night before, what they did is they shine the flashlight at 
8 p.m., I believe. And they covered it with any kind of red film or red clothes. So the mm. flashlight will come as a red color. And the mm. whole sign in every city is red. Mm. So these people has been able to come in up with different non-violence home-based strategy to do that. But after 72 hours, people has already taken on the street. Mm. However, um, we've been trying to be very smart about taking on streets. Mm. They've been coming up with different strategy. Um, one of the strategy being that um, not to have a protest focal point. So the way that we have done before is everybody will come out of their blocks or of their region and they will march towards the center of the city or stuff. That's how usually uh, the protests happen in the past. Right. Dictatorship. This time, what they said is go different direction. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a focal point, the military can come to that focal point and detain everyone. That will be easier for them. If you have everyone going out in different direction in the city, it is harder for the police and the military to kind of block it. Mm-hmm. So these are just wonderful ideas that the Jewish people came out. Um, this so this morning is the nighttime in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. And what they something that I thought it was really cool is so whenever you go ahead and paint a graffiti, people will, the military would just come and um, um, erase them. So tonight, what what they do is they set up these um, laser projector um, secretly all over. Um, to point it at main building and mm. tall building in the city. And they projected the things that they want to say. Right. And right now, <laughs> we cannot find out where this projected thing is coming on. And they can't yeah. even do. So um, I'm very proud of my generation that they were, mm. they, they were able to come in up, came up with these kind of different idea. Um, and also these people have had international ties. So they're emailing uh, the international organization that they had before and they, whatever they want to say, emailing them so that these international organizations can spread the news. And also on um, Facebook, on Wednesday, when Facebook was blogged, mm. people were able to get free VPNs mm-hmm. to a lot of older generations so they can still keep on doing keep on getting on the Facebook. So I am just very hopeful that this generation has um, been able to strategically um, counterattack in non-violent, in very non-violent way to the military strategy to oppress these people's voices. Mm. Um, and we even started a campaign. I, I th- I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure you have pr- probably seen it on my social media. We have started memes with mm. um, graphic art saying that dictator, you mess with the wrong generation mm. uh, and a movement as well. So I'm very hopeful this time that um, we will be able to get the words out. It may, it may take a couple more years, but I don't think it will go to 50 years. Mm. If the international community will come together and help us, I'm pretty sure we will win this. Right. Yeah, that's that's awesome that there's a lot of like people of uh, this newer generation that are uh, sort of banding together and trying to push against them, which is great. Like, you know, because 
um i think that's the one gift that this generation has it uh, the ability to sort of band together um because mm-hmm. i think a lot of the times in the past at least based off of history you've seen there's been warring factions within but mm-hmm. uh, the younger generation does have the ability to sort of come together and fight for a cause if it matters to them which we've seen in the last year too with multiple occasions so yeah, yeah that I, i like you said i think that's very that's a very hopeful sign for people to believe that you know there will be brighter days ahead so yeah that's 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 awesome and on that positive note we're going to transition into the last few sections of the podcast um the first one being uh, bish bash bosh it's a segment where i give the guests five words and i basically ask them to respond in either three words or in three phrases so like for example if i was to say the word education what are the three things that come to your mind that kind of thing um education is not the word uh, but i have five words that i sort of consistently use with every guest on the episodes so uh, does that make sense so i respond in a phrase or something about that came up into my mind right right like in three words or in three phrases okay yeah uh so the first word is differences what comes to your mind when i say the word differences diversity and in a long way in myanmar mm gotcha what comes to your mind when i say the word uh nuance uh revolution and new generation mm what comes to your mind when i say learning we've talked about it a lot but what do you think yeah. comes to your mind flexibility and open Mm. empathy what what comes to your mind when i say the word empathy uh feeling understanding and listening mm. and for the last word for this segment uh similarities what comes to your mind when i say the word similarities standing together and speaking up mm. that's beautiful it's beautiful yeah on that note we're going to go to the last two questions well the last one isn't really a question but the last question is um in situations like this um i'm sure it's very hard to sometimes understand other perspectives but uh how is it or how have you sort of found a way to relate to people who might not share the same opinions as you if you've come in contact with them well sometimes um it's really hard to um you know have even civil dialogue with uh people who might not oppose your mm-hmm. uh to your um to to your belief or idea um uh, but i always have this mind is words are just words if you don't back by an action they're just empty mm. so i don't ever believe that you cannot persuade somebody you cannot convince somebody just by explaining or talking mm. you may sometimes but most of a lot of time you may not mm. so encourage that act on it lead mm. by example people see the if people see your action and if people see that you put effort to make it happen they see the power of your movement as well mm-hmm. so that's the only way that i would say that's also is a reason why i'm not a fan of debates <laughs> mm, fair enough fair enough yeah i mean what you just said like beautifully transitions into the last uh request this is more of a request more than a question but yeah like uh if there's anything positive that you'd like to share with uh you know people from Myanmar or people in general 
um, the floor is yours. Go ahead and share something positive. Um, the only thing that I want to say in regards, because of the situation that has been in my mind for the past week, um, the only thing that I want to say regarding to the military coup is domestic people lead by example and international community also lead by example. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And on that note, uh, thank you so much, Han. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about everything that's happening back home and sort of your initial genesis of wanting to become an educator. Um, I guess everybody just hopes that everything gets better and that, uh, you know, there's brighter days ahead. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for giving me a platform to speak and to make awareness of this situation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, totally, totally. No worries. You're welcome. And to those of you who are listening and watching, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Perspective Platoon with Pratik. Make sure to follow Han on his social media accounts, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on the platform of your choice, and follow Random Relatability on social media. Share your thoughts on the guest introduction post on the Random Relatability Instagram page, and also check the description for other sources of information and content that we've talked about today. If you've made it this far, thank you once again. I really appreciate you listening to the entire episode and joining in on the conversation. Please make sure to share this episode around and raise awareness about the current circumstances of Myanmar. Let's try and do our best to sort of raise awareness about the issue and help to turn the tide around. Until next time, stay safe, take care, and don't forget to keep your mind open to different perspectives because you never know, random relatability might just be around the corner.